0: Welcome to the Queer QE Podcast. We're so excited to be talking about new queer cinema and their transgressive gaze this season. Starting off our first episode with Greg Araki's The Living End.
1: I mean, but it's not like I want to live forever and get old and fat and die in this ugly, stupid world anyways. We're victims of the sexual revolution. Anybody who got fucked before safe sex is fucked. So The Living End. Well, yes. to introduce this film it is considered by many critics at the time that it was released as the gay Thelma and Louise. It follows the narratives of both Luke and John who are two openly gay men living in Southern California and they are both living with HIV. Uh, Luke has been living with HIV since before the film um, narrative begins and he is described as reckless, angry, and nihilistic. A drifter Uh, coasting by. And when the film begins, we meet John, who's a film critic, who finds out that he is HIV positive, and he starts to question what his life means and what the remainder of his life will look like. So before they actually meet uh, Luke, he witnesses another queer man's death and also murders three baseball-wielding stooges in self-defense. So we have a lot of murder before the two characters actually meet. But when they do, John rescues Luke, and they begin a sexual relationship, uh, one that isn't hampered by the worries of AIDS since they are both HIV positive. And after Luke murders a homophobic cop, the two go on a killing spree against homophobic society, presenting an audience with a queer-focused road movie.
0: And Living End was first screened at Sundance, and in an interview, Iraqi said it was this 16 millimeter punk rock movie, which made for $20,000. And it was apparently divisive at the screening. Apparently, people threw punches at each other. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know why you would throw punches. I guess there's, I mean, at the time, I guess it just wasn't visible,
1: well, right? Yeah, that's true. And it's such a transgressive film, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. sure it definitely um, brought up a lot of emotions for the people watching it. Oh, yeah.
0: The film itself is so confrontational and it captures the essence of anger in the 80s and 90s around the AIDS crisis. And to me, like, that's one of the things I really loved about this film was that I could feel that anger. I love the anarchist energy intermixed with the dread of the reality of the situation and the imagery in it was fascinating especially like as a film student who Araki was also a film student from USC he definitely put a lot of um, elements in the background where it's like did you notice the Andy Warhol poster of um, Blowjob in John's room Mm
1: -hmm. yeah you can definitely tell that there are a lot of film student touches it. It makes sense um, with being one of Gregoraki's first features that he would base one of the protagonists in the film world as a film critic because it really allows him to bring in a lot of those those touches that he's obviously very fond of that um, go throughout a lot of his work. You know, it definitely brings up a lot of memories of Lizzie Borden's Born in Flames it does have that same style, that same type of Verde style of filmmaking. And it, it is very guerrilla style, the way that each shot is filmed. And you can tell that there's a lot of influence from Born in Flames in The Living End, as well as a lot of other nuclear cinemas that focus on this type of narrative of gay lawlessness. Mm.
0: And... The symbolism or the imagery in The Living End kind of really blew me away. And I wanted to know your thoughts on especially symbolism of the gun in the film.
1: Yeah, so we see Luke's gun constantly being put in John's mouth, you know. Mm-hmm. So we we have this gun. It's both in his own mouth and John's mouth. It's, um, you know, obviously a destructive weapon. Mm-hmm. But you know, what we see in so many other types of films that have um, very masculine dominating male characters using guns, um, especially towards other men, you know, trying to dominate over them, we'll see them put that gun in their mouth and it does have a lot of phallic, um, you know, undertones to it and it, you know, it's very obvious, but it's interesting in the living instance, since they're lovers and usually with that type of action in the narrative it's something that is very violent and used from one character to another for this type of control it's the opposite of love and romance and i think it definitely calls into question their relationship because even though they are lovers they're on the run they don't know each other that well know each other that well but they are bound together with a lot of their similarities with being diagnosed with HIV and both being openly gay men um, but I think it does complexify their relationship as mm-hmm. not being some type of wholesome romance it, it goes with the theme of um, how transgressive they are
0: and that scene where he's like where Luke's on the back of the car and he's just like Playing with the gun, and then there's a cross mm. hanging off it, and I think Iraqis really just p- really being upfront about like <laughs> fuck the system, you know, fuck all these institutions that are against us at this moment in this um, in this heated moment of the AIDS crisis. Um, it's kind of like fuck the government, fuck the church, fuck society, and. I think, to me, that's what it was symbolizing. I don't know if that was a reach.
1: No, no, because I think that that imagery is found in a lot of different areas within the film. You know, Mm -hmm. so there's one scene where Luke goes and he takes a piss on this obviously very wealthy, affluent type of property. You know, there's those scenes that are completely you know, separate from the main narrative that don't seem that they would be included in that film based off of that narrative, but they obviously enhance this idea of just being so angry with what the world was at that point at the height of the AIDS crisis, you know, this lack of care that most of society and the government had towards AIDS and towards queer people. And so, you know all of that collective imagery in those scenes they definitely show that type of subversive anger do you think that because of that that there is a freedom that they experience because they are able to go off and live outside of society and this lawlessness and they are able to have these really authentic conversations between the two of them and understand the way of the world and what they can do to work inside of it to disrupt it.
0: For me, for me in this film, I didn't f- feel that way. I felt like it was them trying to trick themselves, saying like, you know, like, especially with the end of the film, like you see that mm-hmm. Luke is not okay. Like he, he feels a lot of things, especially about death and this is how I took it, that the whole entire sure. time, this whole road trip, it, it's an escapism for them, but, like, it's it's still there, and, like, they're just pretending. You can definitely feel the dread and anger, especially with all the talks about graphic discussions about death, like, when Luke is, like, on the cliff, and, like, he's taking a piss, and he's talking about witnessing this woman jumping off, and, mm-hmm. like, how Brutal her death was, and also how she was a homeless woman, and how like how everyone didn't even care about her or give her a penny, and but until she's like about to die, then they all of a sudden care.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely hard, you know, going to the end of that film and really left wondering what's going to happen. We're supposed to believe that they will die at some point because, um, you know, John is having a lot of respiratory issues that seem to be brought on by some type of progression of AIDS. It it could be uh, assumed that he actually did, um, contract. He did have AIDS at that point. Um, and Luke was so close to actually killing himself, but then Mm. gets rid of the gun and they're just left there on that beach, which is a beautiful shot. It's a beautiful shot of that sunset. But you know we're left to wonder, okay, so where do they go from now? They've reached the end of their of their journey, of their road journey getting to the sea. So what what happens to them now? You know, I think that, you know, even though I was saying that I felt that there was a sense of freedom, I, I do agree with you that, you know, I think the dread does overwhelm it and that they are just trying to, find some way to cope with their terminal lives, um, Mm -hmm. their early terminal lives. Mm -hmm. But then
0: it's also, there's like those small moments like where John is talking to Darcy on the payphone and like Luke is writing in hearts their names forever and like that that was really sweet. You know, it's like they're just two people in love and society has kind of really fucked them over and they're giving a big You know, they're flipping the bird at society. And I feel like John and Luke are the two different reactions or sides of the gay community during at the time. John is constantly like, I think he's the moral character um, or the moral voice to Luke. Luke was a very like visceral anger and like, just fuck it all.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, Luke is... The id to John's super ego or ego if we want to go into Freudian terms but yeah I think that he definitely balances Luke out and um, John is always the one who is questioning if they should continue further he's constantly threatening to leave to go home and Luke has to remind him why they need to be as transgressive as they are. You know why they need to show how angry they are at society. So, how do you reconcile with Luke really bringing John into um, going along with what he's doing? You know, is that do we see this as a type of response that um, is warranted? You know, that that type of um, bubbling anger that is ever present. Definitely, you know, is the way that we should be reacting.
0: Definitely at the time. And even right now, like, um, we, sh- I-, I think it's, like, where John was coming from was, I think, like, Luke even pointed out, was, like, you just want to go back to your cushy life and pretend that none of, like, you're not mm-hmm. dying. Pretend that what's going around you doesn't exist. It's, like, it's naive to think that way. And in mm-hmm. a way, you're being complicit to how the government at the time and even right now is... Hurting minorities hurting the queer community by their inaction. Mm -hmm. It it was queer activists who formed groups such as gay men's health crisis AIDS coalition to unleash power act up um, That help support People who are HIV positive.
1: It was a huge crisis that wasn't cared about by the government and it took a lot of queer activists and um, non-queer activists who were scientists, doctors, who cared about the well-being of other humans to actually enforce testing and treatments.
0: It was under um, the Reagan-Bush administration, and Mm -hmm. in the beginning, they called it the gay plague or the gay cancer.
1: I know, what does it remind (laughs) you of how Trump is discussing the, the Chinese virus, yeah. the
0: invisible Chinese virus, it's, yeah. and it's exactly, it's you can't let that slide you have to be angry at that, how can you not be angry at that, how can you not want to react at that, exactly. to be, to just ignore and to be passive about it, you are equally complicit into the system
1: exactly, um, this film is a perfect representation of New Care Cinema um, because of how it handles um, AIDS and HIV that mainstream film um definitely bungled Mm -hmm. you know it it focuses this film focuses on how queer people felt about the crisis and how um they felt about mainstream society so a film like this in New queer cinema offers a perspective that is actually authentic to queer people and what they were actually facing at this time so that's why it's a Perfect representation of a new queer cinema film.
0: So that concludes our first episode of The Queer QE with Greg Araki's The Living End, a pivotal piece of new queer cinema to add to your watch list. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will be talking about another seminal film in queer cinema Poison by the famous Todd Haynes.